0: say the words. We live them. We make them true, and they make us who we are. Every house has their words. For the Starks, winter is coming. The Lannisters wish you to hear them roar, and the Valerians tell you that they are the old, the true, the brave. On the other hand, Targaryens had no words before the Conquest. The Dragonlords simply were All knew them, and when Aegon the Conqueror dominated Westeros, he and his family became Westerosi, and they chose their words wisely. For in the centuries since, nothing has defined them more than
1: fire and blood. This is a Watch Party of Ice and Fire. We are your hosts, Solar, Constance, Uzma, Morgan, and myself, Sam. In this podcast, we will be talking everything and anything a World of Ice and Fire. In this episode, we'll, we'll specifically be talking the new Game of Thrones prequel series, House of the Dragon. We'll be going over details you may have missed, lore related to the show, set pieces, costume designs, and of course, getting into each episode. This week, we're talking about the first trailer released. Be sure to listen and, play, and pay close attention as you can elevate your Maester's rank and win links. By listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. So, before we get into our breakdown of the episode and the trailer, uh, we're going to start with our first segment, Love and Lore. Uh, This time on Love and Lore, we're going to be talking about tourneys. Uh, Tourneys are grand social events thrown by a noble family to celebrate honor and chivalry, or a special event such as a name day or a wedding. Uh, Tournaments also allow for noble families to show off their wealth, due to tournaments being extremely expensive. Tournaments can last for a few hours, up to a week. There really isn't any set time. The event features contests of uh, martial prowess, such as a melee, where a bunch of fighters battle using various melee weapons until the last man is standing, or woman, must be knocked over or made to yield. Uh, There's also archery. Um, This is who is the most accurate. Axe throwing, also who is the most accurate. But most notably, we have jousting. Mountain knights charge one another with lances attempting to knock each other off their horses, and whoever lasts the longest wins. In addition to these performances, we have um, puppet shows and mummers are put on all over the place. Uh, There's heavy amounts of food and drink are also consumed during tourneys. And while tourneys usually go without deaths, uh, accidents have unfortunately happened. Uh, What do you all think about tourneys?
2: I think that they're a lot of fun, the pomp, the pageantry, the circumstances, uh, the fact that everyone's wearing their finest clothes, bringing out the finest of foods, the finest of drink, uh, the Arbor Gold and the Dornish Red, (laughs) uh, those those are the kind of things that you know george loves the details of that kind of thing when j george r R. martin gets into describing the joust he talks about the barding he talks about the food he talks about the clothes he just goes into such exquisite detail that it's so much fun to watch and then when it's translated onto the big screen by hbo it's even more exciting because you get to see all those little details made manifest i just just love it
3: now, I'd like to bring up the fact that you forgot about the most important detail of tournaments, Uh-oh. political intrigue. Ah. <laughs> Along with the pageantry and the tournaments and the shows of skills and, and shows of chivalry, there's always the backroom deals, the backstabbing, and the political picking of the new lords of witchlands.
0: Yeah, there's, that is such a huge part. And, and it also... In the forefront, you also get the idea of what characters throughout Westeros have a leg to stand on in combat, right? Just yeah, There's a point where Jamie Lannister in, this, in the series talks about how there are maybe two or three people who could actually fight him and survive. And how do you think <laughs> he knows that? Because he goes to tourneys and he fought people and he actually tested his uh, merit against people. But it also makes you wonder, what about the top-notch fighters who don't fight in tourneys? They're the ones who always surprise you.
4: I think it's, it's, it's also a great way to advance in ranks. For example, Sir uh, Kristen Cole uh, became Renira swan shield after the tourney because he showed how good he was.
3: Well, yeah. oh,
4: there's another aspect too: exactly. uh, Money. Great amounts of money change hands.
2: Not only do you have the betting that's going on among the small folk and the lords, but for a tourney knight, that was how you made your money.
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, You would
2: ransom back the arms and armor of those that you defeated. And if you were just a poor hedge knight, that's a great way to make some money. If you could take out one of the Lannisters and sell them back their own armor and weapons and horses, you could walk out with a lot of money. And on top of that, the prestige.
4: If oh, yeah. you're a hedge
2: knight, which is a knight that doesn't have a master or a lord that they serve, that's the best way to advertise yourself and say, hey, look how good I am. You want me in your service. You want me to swear to you. And it's that's another It's like an
3: aspect. improv contest for stand-up comics.
2: <laughs> I'm good. Give me a series. I'm the best. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs>
1: It's funny, we, so we, we mentioned, or solar you mentioned the, the political intrigue. Um, I feel like tourneys themselves usually have had um, pretty big outcomes. Really, when we, when we think about the wall of ice and fire, there's always tournaments that kind of matter to the overall story. story. Um, tourney at Ashford mm-hmm. Meadow, where Sir Duncan the, the Tall's trial by seven, where Prince Balor is killed. Big deal. Um, the tourney at White Walls, um, where the short lived second Blackfire rebellion hmm. happened, and Brendan Rivers kind of showed off how he is uh, kind of a badass. Or um, the most badass. The tourney in of the Lannisport, even.
3: Westeros, yeah.
1: Exactly. And even the tourney of Lannisport, where Jorah wins, and that kind of kicks off his whole journey to eventually meeting Daenerys and becoming her advisor and kind of creepy doing the background. <laughs> Let's not forget the tourney at Harrenhal. And of course. Oh, hmm. yeah. Exactly. It was just about to bring that up. Most famously, the tourney of Harrenhal, where um, Lyanna Stark gets named Queen of Love and Beauty, which the Queen in Love of Beauty is um, bestowed on a woman attending the tourney uh, by the victor. Uh, she's crowned with a wreath of flowers, and the, the victory is usually dedicated to that Queen of Love and Beauty. And what we know is that Rhaegar did that and basically started uh, the events of... Game of Thrones. Robert's Rebellion. Yeah, um,
3: yeah. we could call that the, turn- the tournament of, hey, girl, how you doing? <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Hey, girl, it, hey. it can cause a lot of conflict when you pick somebody else's betrothed or somebody else's wife.
3: In it's front of your own. Pick,
2: yeah, instead of your own. That's, that's kind of a kind of a big deal socially to, to snub your own family, your own spouse with that honor by giving it to someone else. So. Well,
3: you know, the Targaryens were always known for being kind of progressive in those manners.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, he wouldn't have been the first Targaryen to have two wives.
4: Mm-hmm. Do you think Lyanna was this the mystery knight? How else would Rhaegar meet mm. her?
3: In truth, that there is a case to be made for that. Yeah, uh, the knight of the laughing tree was still never identified.
2: Oh yes, mystery knights—that's mm-hmm, a good topic. Mm-hmm. Um, a mystery knight is someone that enters under a shield and a name that is not their own. Yeah, uh, this was a way for someone to get pure fame based off of their prowess, or if possibly in the case of that we're speaking of here, it could have been a woman in disguise. Uh, sometimes it's a noble that isn't uh, really expected to fight that takes up the mystery helm. It's kind of like special guest star, and you don't know who it is until they're unhorsed or they're victorious. So it was kind of a, one of those crowd-pleasing moments to see somebody that you weren't expecting, like in, you know, a wrestling match. Yeah, right. or, <laughs> you
3: know, Lord Clark of House Can, oh you know. It's
2: just,
1: it's just like a wrestling match. <laughs> a surprise <laughs> entrant comes in. They start playing and the a masked music music. one, yeah. too. It's like, oh, my <laughs> God. I like that. Yeah, the theme music hits, the crowd
0: goes yeah. wild. It's crazy. Uh, another side of that is also if a, if a prince or someone uh, like a, of really high rank were to go in, their competitors probably wouldn't try to unhorse them. They would try to be like, oh, let the prince win. But if the prince went in as a mystery knight, they don't know it's a prince. So he gets to actually have the competition and feel like a regular knight for once. Which,
3: well, you, to, know, you know, I mean, to
0: royalty, is important, I well, guess. Yeah, I mean...
3: <laughs> You know, with those pesky laws of like assaulting a noble and everything, <laughs> yeah. and tournaments are kind of easy for um, the gentry to go in without, um, without hiding their identity.
1: True. Yeah. Right, right. I don't know. I've seen a knight's tale <laughs> and a knight's tale Prince Edward, you know, <laughs> he wasn't even, a, was that even a mystery knight though? I feel like he showed his, no, he didn't show his face, but that's always he, what I think about sometimes. <laughs> with a mystery Yes, he,
0: he was a mystery knight and he was pretending not to be him and then they caught on. Uh, But there were many incidences and even times where uh, I forget which King of France, there was a King of France uh, competing in attorney at his daughter's wedding. He wasn't even going as a mystery knight, but he was competing at his daughter's wedding and his opponent was trying to be nice and let his Lance go up. The Lance went right through his visor and killed him on the spot. Oops. Not a good day uh, for that writer or for the King. (laughs)
3: Yeah, but a really good day for next in line. So, right?
1: <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the people watching probably had a bit of joy out of that too. I can imagine. All <laughs> wow,
2: talk about a train wreck. Yeah, I mean, you know, it actually
3: makes me wonder if we had like joust with um, our current form of government that we got going. Oh God, would we have like Simon from American Idol sitting on the end going, "Well, you know." Um, you're fairly okay as a senator, but that's not that's not singing, you know I, I, would, I would rather plug my ears: you know?
1: And now get on this horse and charge yeah. of someone else with a lady, <laughs> yeah please. exactly
3: exactly.:
1: It would make the presidential race a lot more interesting. You I know mean.
3: honestly, there's I could actually see like Corey Booker doing good in an archery contest. <laughs> you know, kind of pulling the Robin Hood type thing.
1: Hmm. Absolutely. I would I would, I would I would definitely tune in for the debates way
2: before this video. If it was jousting.
3: Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, a sword and shield duel to compete about infrastructure. That's <laughs> <laughs> and we need high speed uh, rail. Your Grab view your view sword.
1: What's your view on climate change? I don't know. Give me a lance and a horse and we'll get it done. <laughs>
3: We need to get off fossil fuels and go back to horsepower, like a little <laughs> horsepower.
1: Right?
3: Yeah. Well, that is our For the
1: Love of lore segment. Uh, moving on, we have the dragons in the details, where Constance and Uzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the last episode. With this one, it'll be the trailer. Uh, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. After use, Constance.
2: What we're going to do is we're going to put up some video clips. Um, Now, we're going to share the screen if you're watching this from video, but if you're listening to the on the audio, we're going to give a textual description of what each screen is so that way you can get an idea of what it is that we're looking at. Uh, But we're going to post the link to this with the link to this podcast so that you can watch along and follow the details. So, Uzma, do you want to take it away?
4: Sure. At the very beginning of the trailer, we see the words 200 years before the fall of the thrones. It says before the fall of the thrones, which means it also counts 8 years of Game of Thrones. So I think season 1 will begin in 105 AC when Re- King Viserys held Rainira's ceremony. And from 105 AC to the very beginning of... Game of Thrones, which happened in 297 AC, when Will was killed beyond the wall. Uh, It happened in 297 AC. So that's 192 years. And if you count eight years of Game of Thrones, so that's exactly 200 years. What do you think about this, Constance? I think it's a great marketing scheme. (laughs) (laughs)
2: the the perfectly even round number sounds so tempting it's you know 197 years before game of thrones just rounding it up to 200 makes it sound even if it's not exactly 200 based on when they started the the you know the game of thrones the the original series it's still a good enough number to work off of and i think it's a an appropriate number So the next thing we're going to look at here is a shot of Viserys sitting on the Iron Throne. Uh, It's a really good shot of his hand, in which you can see that he's got a Targaryen ring with the crest, the three-headed dragon. And he's also carrying a blade with him. Uh, Not only does he have Blackfire, the Sword of the Conqueror, he has a dagger that's tucked into his belt that you later see with Alicent, his wife. Or will be his wife, if we're getting ahead of ourselves. But you could see here in the picture that we've got it illustrated, it's what you might've seen before. If it looks a little familiar, it's the cat's paw dagger that was used to kill Ned, uh, attempted to kill Bran Stark that went through Littlefinger's hands at one point and was traced back to the Lannisters. Uh, So this is where the Targaryen blade comes from. And we know it's Valyrian steel because that becomes very important. Uh, But you can see here that it's with the king at this time. Now, you could also see in his hand, in his right hand, he's carrying Fire, which is the sword of Aegon the Conqueror, the sword of the king. Uh, it is a beautiful Valerian blade with a uh, seven-pointed star on the pommel. And there's a hood on the crossguard that looks like dragon wings. And uh, it's likely going to come into play with the rest of the story because the, whoever holds the sword holds the throne. It's one of those kind of linked together things. So we'll see more of that in the future. Uh, but yeah, you, so that's, that's the dagger here that we're closing up on. And you can see it again in another shot from one of the promo videos that he's got it. It's got a very interesting look to it. Uh, but we'll see that closer during the actual series.
4: So Usma, what do we have now? then we see daemon targaryen fighting in the tourney and he's wearing a black armor which seems which has black dragon scales uh, that which has scales that looks like a dragon scales on it and he's also wearing a helm with uh, what looks like a dragon's uh, wings and it has a red si- uh, silken streamers His armor kind of reminds me of Rhaegar's armor, uh, because Rhaegar also owned a black-plated armor with uh, red uh, rubies uh, Targaryen sigil on its breastplate and he he also decorated his helm with uh, red gold and orange streamers, which were supposed to look like uh, flames. And I think we can see the resemblance here. And he's also holding his sword, Dark Sister, which has dragon's wings on it and a dragon egg on its pommel. What do you think about it, Constance? Oh, I love that sword. It's an absolutely beautiful design
2: and it just screams I'm a Targaryen. Dragon's wings and dragon's eggs are the things that that set them apart from the rest of the Westerosi. I love it. Uh, I, I don't know if it matches Rhaegar's armor. We can't see the front to see if it's got the rubies that that were so famous in the description of Rhaegar's uh, plate. But for now, we know at least that he's going to be fighting, which is exciting, and that he's going to be wielding his uh, official Valerian steel blade. So that's always fun. Uh, next, we come to a very important scene that shows the Valerian family Entering the Great Hall for a banquet, possibly a wedding. Hmm. Uh, no spoilers here, but you get a good look at the family. They all have that white hair, the Valerian blood, the white hair and the pale eyes, which is the signifiers of those of the, the doomed city. You can see here that we've got Steve Toussaint playing Lord Corlys, and then there's his children. Uh, that's his son, Leonor, there. And then you could see his wife, Rhaenys. She was a, played by Eve Best. She was a dragon rider, also a Targaryen that married into the family. Uh, you could see that they're all wearing their finest. They are dressed to the nines for this occasion because it is a royal feast, possibly a wedding. Like I said, uh, you could see, look at the gold. There's a gold necklace on, uh, on Lenor that's absolutely gaudy. <laughs> it's got multicolored stones and circles and it's and he's wearing a gold surcoat and it's just absolutely horrible. I love it. Uh but you could see the seahorse crest there on uh Corliss which is the the crest of the uh, Valyrian family, the, the silver seahorse on the field of blue, which we'll also see in the next shot,
4: Uzma. In the next shot uh, we can see a uh... The banners of House Targaryen and House Lannister hanging on the wall uh, behind the Iron Throne. And uh, if you'll,
2: Just a yeah? quick correction, that's Valerian, not Lannister.
4: Sorry, <laughs> uh, House Targaryen and House Velaryen, uh hanging on the wall. And uh, if you will focus, uh, House Targaryen's baren- banner has uh, black fringes on it, which will come up later. And uh, sitting on the high table, we have Lord Lionel Strong, who was the master of laws, and King Viserys, and his daughter, uh, Princess Rainira. And there's also an empty chair next to King uh, Viserys, which belongs to Queen Alicent, which makes sense because he was always stuck between his queen, his queen and his daughter. <laughs> and... Uh, if you'll focus on the right side, you can see the some carvings on the wall. It looks like Aegon's conquest because the dance hasn't happened yet. Uh, and it looks like a dragon attacking soldiers. You can see that uh, the men are wearing armor and helm. So it... It seems to be depicting some kind of war, just like Robert's. Rebe- we saw Robert's Rebellion and the, in the opening credits of Game of Thrones. So I think this is showing Egon's conquest. What do you think about it, Constance? Yeah, I, I like the distinction
2: they're making, and I'll go into this point a little later, uh, between the throne room during the time of Robert's Rebellion. When the Baratheons held the Red Keep, to what the Targaryens' Red Keep looked like, and these little details, like you could, if you're looking at the up close, it does show a dragon flying over a bunch of soldiers. It looks like some of them may have bows and arrows, and they're trying to fight back valiantly. But as we all know, that doesn't work too well against a dragon. Uh, so this is a really nice way to kind of put a distinction between the two throne rooms and the style of, of how things have changed in the 200 years that have passed. So yeah, I, I, and it does kind of remind you of the opening credit art with the circling the sun and the bands showing Robert's rebellion. So it's kind of a nice throwback to that. Uh, so that's there. Oh, next we've got uh, Alicent Hightower. She uh, is the second wife to King Viserys. She was the nursemaid to the old King Je- Jeheris and was uh, rumored by some of the dirtier gossips to have been his lover. But, you know, that's just the salacious things that you get at court. Political intrigue, right? Like we were saying earlier, uh, if you look, she's carrying that dagger again, the the king's, the king's cat's paw dagger with the red stone and the valerian steel blade that she must have gotten from the king at some point. Maybe it was a gift to her. Maybe she took it. It looks like she's very distraught in this shot. We don't know why just yet, uh, but she is wearing the same clothes that she was wearing in the um, promo shots minus this beautiful hood that she had on Uh, but you could still see that she's got a diamond lattice embroidery beadwork a chain of gold coins across the top Uh, and it's a very ornate outfit it's possibly even a funerary gown based on the severity of the color but again that's spoilers and something that we see in another trailer uh, but what what do you think? What do you think that the significance of that scene is,
4: Uzma? I mean, with the running with the dagger towards the camera, what what could that possibly be? I agree. It's, uh, it seems like something has happened because her hair looks uh, disheveled, and mm-hmm. uh, sh- uh, she's her expression says uh, that she's very worried. So something has happened, and she's uh, it has something to do with the dagger, and she running towards someone in the throne room uh, because of that. So it would be really interesting to find out uh, what was the reason for that. <laughs> we don't know what happened, right?
2: Yeah, we'll find <laughs> out. <laughs>
4: <laughs> the next one, uh, we see that to- a tourney held in King's Landing. Uh, and as Sam said earlier, the tourneys are held to celebrate something. Uh, so we are, they will be celebrating something in this tourney and uh, it seems like Renira uh, and Alicent are attending this scene, uh, scene and they are very young and Alicent seems to be wearing the same dress she was wearing in the promo pictures where uh, Renira looked very sad and it looked like uh, Alicent was consoling her. Uh, I think the scene will take this tourney will take place in 105 AC uh, after Renira's ceremony and you'll find out what it was about <laughs> later and the very first houses we see in the jousting are house bolton and house stark uh, i would lo- love to see who wins this uh, tourney uh, who do you want to th- uh, who do you think will win this one constance oh between stark and bolton please yeah. say stark yeah, please i hope so <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> and uh, after that um, See uh, a tourney between House Charlie and House Went. Uh, House Went sigil has nine bats on a yellow field. So, if you'll count the bats on his shield, there are nine bats. So, uh, this tourney is between House Charlie and House Went. And we can also see some other banners like House Lannister's banner. And there is some another b- banner. Uh, I can't tell which banner it is. The closest I can think of is House lefford who do you think this banner belongs to, Constance? Oh, I I have no idea.
2: Uh, <laughs> HBO is known to change the art design from yeah. what George has envisioned, so it could it could be a house of prominence if, since it's right there next to the Lannister. It could just be one of the houses that we haven't seen yet, and maybe we'll be introduced to. Hard to say. it It's a really it's a really hard to see from this this. It just looks like a sunburst on a blue field, which doesn't correspond with any of the houses that we're aware of. So. Yeah. guess we'll have
4: to wait and find out. It looks a little bit like House Carstack's banner, but the colors mm-hmm. are different. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's a color flip, which HBO has been known to do, but we we won't know until we actually get there.
4: Yeah. After that, uh, we we see a uh, jousting. Uh, two uh, knights are charging towards uh, each other with lance, and uh, it seems like the hu- knight from House Went will break his lance against the shield of House Charlie. And as Sam has mentioned earlier, once a knight is unhorsed, he loses a tourney. And as you can see, the knight from House Went would unhorse the knight from House Charlie. So what do you think about now, this? we all Constance? remember
2: House Charlie from Game of Thrones. I mean, that's the house that Sam was from. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of nice to see them use a little, a little more again. They've, they've already got that art asset. Let's use it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see what do we have next. We have a sword fight. Oh, so exciting. Uh, this one looks like that it's in uh, Valerian's Vel- keep. I don't think this is the red keep at all based on the, do- the documentation and what we can see here. It's uh Llanar Valerian versus a dark-haired young man. We're not sure who that character is just yet. It's kind of hard to see in this picture. But the more interesting stuff is the background. Uh, you can see that there is a dragon skull, a very small one on the table back there, there's a beautiful painting of a dragon longbow ship on the back, which might be the drift mark, uh, showing them, you know, transporting Aegon the Conqueror's troops and everything over the sea, the Narrow Sea. Uh, so that's and that's a unique style of ship that we don't see very often, is the dragon-headed prow. So that that might give us a little more information about the family and, and what they've done. Uh, But the other really kind of cute detail is a little a little sea urchin or or of some kind or a spiky helmet there on display on the side, which, again, has to deal with uh, the Valerian's, uh, the sea snake Koros' travels. He brought back all kinds of interesting things on his journeys across Westeros. The most Mm -hmm. interesting, I would have to say, was his attempt to bring back elephants. (laughs) But that didn't work. They all died. (laughs) But he was, he was the richest man in all of Westeros for a while, even more rich than the Lannisters, which is a pretty impressive feat. So Lord Corlys uh, had a lot of really interesting things that he would do for the sake of the Targaryens, even more than, you know, being part of their, normally he's master of ships. I don't think he is in this, in most of the storyline, but uh, Lord Corlys did indeed try to bring back elephants at some point. (laughs) I wish we could see that. That would be fun to watch. Dragons versus (laughs) elephants. Probably not much of a contest. Uh, But let's close this out. What do we have now? We've got lots of spiky bits, huh?
4: Yeah, the Iron Throne. (laughs) And uh, after that, uh, we see Rainira entering the throne room, and she's walking towards the Iron Throne. And someone is sitting on the Iron Throne. But we'll come to that later. (laughs) And on the right-hand side, you can see the Targaryen banner, which has fringes on the um, sides, and House Velaryon's banner. So it the scene might take place after the feast, or uh, uh, and I can also think of another scenario, which I'll discuss later. Uh, and if you'll see, uh, there is a cleaning some uh, cleaning going on. You can see a ladder and a bucket near a column and it seems like uh, the, someone is leaving the throne room. So it seems like uh, Renira Rha- wa- Rha- wants to talk to the person who is sitting on the Iron Throne in private and she will order the servant to leave the throne room. It's either that... Or it could be one of Renira's. Uh, maybe Renira will have some kind of visions. I've heard rumors that there might be dreams and visions uh, in House of the Dragon. So if that's the case, uh, it might be... Uh, maybe she's seeing... It doesn't look like the person sitting on the Iron Throne doesn't look like either Viserys or Daemon. So... Uh, this uh, picture reminds me i don't know why this picture reminds me of megor the cruel because he was found den- dead on the iron throne and um, <coughs> this kind of looks like that so if that's the case uh, maybe she has some kind of dream and vis- vision and she saw the person who killed uh, <coughs> killed the um, killed megor the cruel what do you think constance i don't know um I, I don't think that there's been any
2: basis for that in the actual text about visions or dreams. And I don't see why Megor the Cruel would come into play in this situation. Yeah. It doesn't really have a lot of bearing on Reyna's story. Uh, yeah. But I guess we'll find out. I mean, it's another <laughs> one of those things where HBO is taking liberties with the text and kind of going their own direction, which makes it fun for those of us that have read everything. But at the same time, some stuff does come out of left field. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while we have it up, I want to just point out the Iron Throne while, while we're looking at the shot. The Iron Throne in this time period is very different from the Iron Throne that Robert sits on during his rebellion. This has a lot more swords left and right of the throne. The throne itself is built up about three or four more levels than the actual throne was in uh, Game of Thrones. This is more in keeping with George's vision. If you've ever seen any of his artwork uh, that he's he's had done, the throne is about three stories tall and full of nothing but spiky bits. It is swords and swords and swords all melted together by dragon fire. And this kind of gives us a better idea of just how many weapons that the Targaryens have claimed from their enemies through conquest by dragon. So this is a much more imposing... Yeah. yeah, how much how much more victorious they are in, in defeat with, with defeating their enemies with all the swords and everything that we see on display. But uh, I think that's it for us. Do we have anything else that we
4: wanted to go over for uh, Details in the Dragons? I think that's about everything. Back to you, Sam. All right, Sam.
1: Great. Thank you, Constance and Uzma.
5: Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Reynolds, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes—super small and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches—to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the. Way. So, if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to Four Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WatchParty10 to get a 10% discount. That's Four Cats Boutique on Etsy.
1: Uh, next we have our Raven's eye segment where solar will be talking about the cinematography cinematography and directorial cho- choices made and how they affect the episode or in this sense, the trailer,
3: uh, to you. Solar. All right. And Constance <coughs> don't get too comfortable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to need you for this one. So, uh, welcome to the segment of the Raven's eye. where We take all those details that we just talked about and look at them in context. Okay. So what we've got, um, On the on the trailer, when we talk scene by scene, okay, we have the normal opening of who does this HBO, but we get a shot of a character. Um, We get a shot of a character walking through the darkness. Where is he going? You know, where is he going? It's definitely somewhere dark. And this trailer, to start off, uses the old movie trailer techniques from the late 80s and early 90s with a lot of quick cuts and a lot of questions to be asked. Now, I believe it was in the mid 2000s to the early teens um, when trailers essentially started telling the entirety of the movie um, within the two minutes that we saw everything. I mean, would that be about the time or is it just that's when we started noticing stuff?
2: Uh it's hard to say. I mean people's attention spans have shifted and what they want to see. They they don't like the mystery these days.
3: Yeah, yeah. They can't it.
2: they they need to know what they're going to see without wanting to have that slow burn.
3: Yeah, so that, exactly. That
2: does sound about right, yeah.
3: Yeah, but um but the style was taken toward tra- trailers for television shows since TV shows have become the new form of long form storytelling using more cinematic techniques. So we're getting the quick cuts out of the way for the show in the trailers. <laughs> um, so we have who is paying for this, of course. And now um, we get more and more scenes to say, like, this was life, 200 years. And if you notice, we have a lot of camera movement in each one cutting to the next thing. We've got the hand. We've got the king. Uh, we've got a dynasty reign. So we see our Targaryen main character and fire, which is very symbolic of them. And of course, antagonist, you know, as we have the sweeping shot of the camera rising from the ground um, with Matt Smith's wonderful brooding face. Oh
2: God, nobody broods like Matt Smith. Uh,
3: I I think he's in the top 10. I think he's in the top 10. (laughs) Christian Bale's got a good one too. Okay, (laughs) point taken. You know, so yeah, but he's got that broody thing. While his sister Rainera in her third shot in this trailer, and this is very important because it's subconsciously telling the audience who we are following in this show. <laughs> um So as we're going, oh, wait, that was his aunt, of course. And now, yes, more people, more people, more people we haven't seen. Why is she walking toward, and of course, the tourney scene. So we're getting a lot of flashes of action and... um more, what's the term I'm looking for? Every single time the camera fades in, it looks like we're walking in on something that's already happening, and it's pretty important, making the audience, um, at least the director's trying to make the audience interested in. Hey, what I miss? Wait, what is this? Huh? Whoa, whoa, what's this? What? What is all that? And um, then we see, and this is very important in this particular shot, the shot of the Iron Throne in the throne room. We linger on this shot for about two seconds and we have slow camera movement to show the Iron Throne is different from what y'all remember. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, once we fade, we get, guess who the main characters of this is? Look! (laughs) Fire, dragons, all that stuff. Um, To throw in a very, very, very obvious um, show um, for the main house of this show, and everything visually in the cinematic language says this is a Targaryen story. Okay, that is that is what this is. Um, they're really pushing it with a lot of um, with a lot of the shots, specifically white hair, the Targaryen white hair. We have one shot, um, at least five different shots in this one minute and seventeen seconds of people with white hair. You know, we have a silhouette. And, um, but as we go, we've got, hey, what's that there? What's that there? Um, The Hand of the King. Hey, I remember Hand of the King. But again, more white Targaryen hair. Along with um, fire, Along with um, the ring with the Targaryen house sigil. So everything that we're seeing on screen here is very Targaryen centric. Again. Another Targaryen with white hair, just shot after shot after shot, as if to say, "Hey guys, you remember the Starks? Ain't about them. <laughs> this is really about yeah. uh, House Targaryen. Even House Valerian. Okay, we finally get some people of color in this, and even they have white hair. Mm-hmm. So everything that we're seeing in this trailer is bringing the white hair of the Targaryens, or more to the point, of the Valerians." to the forefront Mm -hmm. um for the audience eye to say this is what you're used to but different um even in what looks to be a duel inside the valerian castle we have another white-haired person (laughs) fighting someone whose hair isn't white which evokes images of robert's rebellion and then we get to see the targaryen throne room not the baratheon not the lannister the Targaryen throne room. Hmm. Um, It's lighting is very interesting. When you look at it as the camera moves through it, because you can see the darkness of the room is juxtaposed by one light in the distance. Okay. Almost like being attacked by dragons at night, especially since we're looking at things through a filter of blades and as we're moving, there is light coming in from the background shots, and there's lights coming in from the window, but it's indiscernible. Is it dragon fire? Is it sunlight? Is it something otherworldly, like magic, which the Targaryens were known for? Um, And once we start approaching the throne, it is, as you guys said in the details section, much more imposing. I mean, when we first see the Iron Throne in the Game of Thrones show, it was like King Robert was like, man, clean up all this stuff. Keep the chair, but, but move the floor. I, I don't want to trip and fall over something. Um, and this looks like an uncomfortable place to be from every single angle. Now, in the artwork, as you talked about earlier, the Iron Throne is like three stories tall. So it looks hard to climb up just to sit down.
4: Well, and that's, um
2: that's actually a story point too yeah uh, it, it said that the iron throne will reject anyone who is unworthy
3: yes you know and that the throne was supposed to be an uncomfortable place for anyone to sit because anyone comfortable with power doesn't deserve it now from a production standpoint okay <laughs> this is prop design and set dressing and stuff to make that throne as high as say um, an airplane, an airplane hanger um, that would be ultra, ultra Mm -hmm. impractical um, from a production standpoint, not just building the bleeding thing, but filming (laughs) it week after week after week with actors insurance and stunt plays and all that stuff. So it was a wise design to have the sword spill away from the throne and Mm -hmm. further and further away. Um, Cinematically as um, we're pulling up the shot here, Um, cinematically creating another psychological barrier between the king and the court. Okay, whoever sits upon the Iron Throne is not just protected um, by the guards or, um, you know, the gold cloaks or um, the knights or the king's guard, but it's protected by the throne itself. So this was a very wise production choice in this. And... You know, so these scenes and of course the, hey, look, it's another Game of Thrones thing. That's right. Uh, no long questions. Uh, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, um, which is same a lot font. better than hmm? same font. Yeah, same font. Tying it in. And of course the yeah, now sign up for our streaming service. So um, <laughs> so the emotional invocations of all of this trailer from shot to shot to shot evokes three major things, which is what am I walking into (laughs) Um, from the opening shot of someone, Matt Smith um, walking in darkness with a torch into darkness with a torch. Where is he going? Where am I, the audience member following him? Um, And then we walk in on various conversations from various distances. So the show, um, according to this trailer, at least. This trailer invokes a feeling of curiosity of what am I walking into? Second, outsidedness. So this very much looks like um, the trailer is giving the impression that the audience should take the third person omniscient point of view. Like, this is not a place for self-insertion. This is not your story. We're not going to have a Jon Snow. This is their story. Look at them being stupid. You know, (laughs) uh, that kind of thing. And, um a sense of a different time with the same problems, you know, the same fights of tournaments, political intrigue, weaponry, and politics, you know, so very SOSDD <laughs> when it comes to the workings of West Wales. So, um, this is just one filter to look through this with, but I can very much see the directorial intent on that. Now, what do you see when you look at the trailers? Um, using the camera movements and which shots they pick like what what are what are the emotional evocations for you when you see this other than oh my god this might look as good as the last show let's hope it ends better
2: well let's open it up to everybody else i mean let's you know morgan you look very thoughtful what what kind of emotions does this evoke for you
0: well okay so if we're talking about the whole thing it's Mm -hmm. got so many emotions for me, especially because Targaryen is my favorite house. Um, I have a Targaryen banner uh, and a Targaryen seal. Uh, Anyways, the just watching these characters who I know quite a bit about already. So I love them. uh, And just seeing these moments and. Overall, it has this sense of foreboding action right things are gonna go badly I can tell that just from the trailer <laughs> things are not gonna go well for these people it's gonna go bad <laughs> and I'm gonna enjoy it <laughs> that's that that's that's the main thing is like all this action all these desires and whatnot it, it evokes the same kind of feelings all of Game of Thrones evoked which is, all of this is going to happen, and probably none of it's going to go the way any of them want it to.
3: That's a really, really good read on that. Because um, I notice, when we look at the trailer, there is one thing that we can definitely see throughout the characters from shot to shot to shot, and that is a woeful lack of smiling. Mm. So
0: Everyone's scared the whole time. Every little thing is all about... Uh, either sh- showing off so that nobody underestimates you or showing the true fear of the moment, such as um, when uh, Queen Alicent is uh, with the- holding the dagger, right? She looks terrified. There is a lot of fear, a lot of action, and a lot of uncertainty and mistrust through every single scene.
3: Really, really good observation. Um, Now, normally in this segment, we would talk about music and score, but this is Mm -hmm. a trailer and not a full episode. So we'll be back next week to pick a scene or two from um, the show as it comes out and possibly the second trailer. So with that, I want to thank you guys for um, listening to this and leave a comment like in in our little comment section. Let us know what you guys saw or felt when it comes down to this thing. But um, back to you, Sam. Thank you, Solar.
1: Uh, And now the moment you've all been waiting for our main segment, Fire and Blood, uh, where the whole council will dig into some of the biggest moments that came up in this trailer uh morgan i believe you have some questions for i us. do and some of it's already been covered
0: a little bit so uh the, the the first main question is initial reactions and obviously i just gave you all my initial reaction but uh i'm gonna say uh sam give me your initial reaction to the trailer
1: i mean i get my initial reaction was whenever we see Damon fighting i just kind of like got all hyped up. I was, like, ready to go for it. Like, the hype is happening. It's confirmed. Like, I was all excited. Like, he, I, I that was, like, the part where the trailer really became real when I was, like, we're going to get to see, like, some really awesome Daemon Targaryen getting into it. So I think for me that part was, like, the when i was like okay i'm really excited for this show now like uh, you know dragons are awesome i love the dragons but it's like those kinds of things like these like legendary characters that come up where it's like you know we got a lot of stuff in game of thrones but these are like the legendary characters so i guess that was like the part where i got really excited about but uh
3: so what about you oh me Um uh, my initial reaction upon first watching this trailer was where are my lizards? I was coming exactly from <laughs> me, the opposite me too, end. Me too. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I had to wait 730 pages and 10 episodes before I got my dragons. I saw a pretty girl carrying some rocks and putting them in a brazier. But, but where are my dragons at? This is, this is like the dance of the dragons. So they're opening up the Targaryen Civil War. The, the time when most of the dragons killed each other in history. Right. So as as the book nerd that I am, I'm like, all right, now we're looking at, you know, a couple, at least two or three dragon fights per season. And I don't see any in this trailer. Uh, Why where, where, where am I? Dra- I'm seeing tourneys yet seen it. Um, Oh, yeah. They did some redecorating in the Iron Throne. That That's kind of cool. That probably has some artistic merit. Where are my dragons? <laughs> that's what I was talking about, <laughs> you know. And, of course, it was. it's always good to see Matt Smith on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good that they're um, delving into House Valerian. Because, quite honestly, um, the stories made it very clear. With the Doom of Valeria, not many people got out, but two families did. One conquered the kingdom. The other moved to Dorne. So, so what's up with, with the family from the south side? And it's good to see them on screen for once. But, really, where are my dragons at? that that's where i was looking for because we're supposed to have solar my yeah <laughs> so my
1: favorite part of that are you're like where are my dragons at but hey matt smith he's looking good
3: oh <laughs> <driving laughs> <Well>, you know <laughs> honestly he had me from doctor who but um yeah. but um given the history that this show was covering we are looking at at least 10 different dragon designs with different color palettes different horn designs like this is their time to open up and get creative and in the first trailer we saw nothing and i'm like who's doing this jj abrams i don't want a mystery box i want to see some dragons so that's we where i saw came
2: briefly one <laughs> shot of a dragon head behind a bed of candles and it's so dark and so dim that it doesn't even qualify yeah, i mean exactly. it's like was that an actual dragon was that a dragon skull back there i mean could've it could have been a statue. tiger <laughs> it could have been a statue. Yeah, it felt
4: like a um, like the death of a funeral of a dragon. <laughs> yeah, <it> could <laughs> yeah. have very well been a dead dragon.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly. And we got those. We got those all. You know, we got those in a storage closet in the in the last yeah. series. I'm like, you know, yeah. give me some air fights. Give me, give me some dragons and some creative <laughs> fights. Patience. And, you
4: know. We just have to be patient.
0: All right. Uh, what about you, Uzma? What's your initial reaction?
4: The first thing I noticed was the music. Uh, When I watched the trailer, uh, uh, when I heard the Game of Thrones music, it just hit me how much I missed Game of Thrones. Like, I I didn't like season 8, and I thought... uh, Okay, uh, I won't watch it again. But uh, the second uh, I heard the music, I was just back, uh, brought back to the uh, time when I used to love like, uh, ga- watching Game of Thrones. I had been pa- making videos about Game of Thrones for the past six years, and I had been in the group discussing, talking about it for the past six years. So uh, I really missed the sh- uh, missed um, <laughs> Game of Thrones, and. Uh, the music just uh, reminded me of how much I had missed it. I loved everything about the Targaryens, and uh, it was uh, especially Daemon uh, Targaryen because he looked like the Targaryens uh, in the, from the fan arts. Uh, that's how we, I pictured Rhaegar would be, <laughs> like kind of like uh, that. But and is it just me or does he uh, did he look a lot like Legolas from Lord of the Rings? <laughs> <laughs> With that hair?
3: It was the they half ponytail that did it.
4: Yeah, it's the hair.
3: You guys think there's going to be a special guest cameo from Orlando Bloom in one of these episodes? Like,
2: <laughs> they tapped Just almost throw everybody a white wig else. On him, put him in there.
3: <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, he'll be, uh, he'll be sliding down the dragon's <laughs> back you know, kind of like in the third one. <laughs> it still only counts as
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And you, Constance, your initial reaction?
2: Uh, let's see. I was just kind of like wanting more. It was mm. so dark. It was so brief. It it was an appetizer that made me want an, made me want an entree.
0: Yeah, I feel like that. Everything
2: <laughs> was so short, so quick. But that was the intention, was to kind of give you here's what you're going to see. This is just one piece of it. Here's a completely different piece of it. Here's yet another piece of it. There's a lot going on. So we're not going to string it together for you. It's like Solar was saying, this isn't the, here's your movie in this course of two minutes. It's here's the buffet. You can see what dishes you're going to have available to you, but we're not going to let you eat all of it right at once. Yeah. So that's, that's what I took away from it was this is like a promise of things to come. And that was kind of kind of fun. It's like, okay, oh look, I want to see more of that. Uh okay, that's not so interesting to me. Oh, I really want to see more of that. Uh, so it's like the opportunity to see what's up what's up next, but not knowing exactly what it is that's gonna be up next. And that's kind of what I got from the trailer was the the sense of I want more. <laughs> like where's my dragons? I want more.
0: <laughs> yeah. And speaking of where's my dragons, I've got a quote here dreams didn't make us kings dragons did what do we really think about this quote uh and of course from the targaryen perspective do we agree with that quote or disagree what are your thoughts let's go to solar first since he kept talking about the dragons
3: um (laughs) it's actually funny because being an avid reader of the lore i call bs on that if not for Danys the Dreamer, they would have stayed in <laughs> Valeria and got swallowed up by volcanoes. So, <laughs> um, but on the other hand, it has merit because the Valerians, they also left before the Doom and they're not kings. Hmm. So, you know, they're, they're a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, but don't, don't take the dreams off the table. It was prophetic dreams that got them to the colonized Dragonstone in the first place, you know? Fair enough. So. Uh, Uzma,
4: I agree with Solar. Uh, I think uh, it depends on which kind of dream he is talking about. If if he's just talking about the ambitions, then yeah, dragons played a big part of that. But if he's talking about the prophetic dreams, uh, like uh, if the, uh, he if these are those dreams, I agree that without the dreams, the Targaryens won't even have been alive, let alone be kings. So without the dreams, uh, they couldn't ha- have been kings. Yeah.
0: Uh, Constance, your turn.
2: I'm kind of the same opinion. Uh, The ambition only goes so far. Right. You can have the idea of uniting the seven kingdoms under one banner, one throne. But unless you've got the literal firepower to pull it off, (laughs) your ambitions will get you nowhere. I mean, it, it, it did kind of work in latter years with the Lannister dynasty that they established, but that was through a lot of manpower. And manipulation and scheming and we all saw what happened when the actual dragon went up against the lannisters and uh that kind of solidified that even with all of that without the dragon they couldn't have pulled off their power play
0: and even when they were pulling off their power play they never actually controlled all seven kingdoms
2: no 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 not really Everything because the north broke away and Jorn kind of did their own thing. And, and yeah,
3: Nobody controls the south side of any territory.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sam, what do you think?
1: Uh, I'm going to have to say I think, I think that I agree with that quote. I, I do think the dragons, without the dragons, they weren't going to be kings. You know, we, we can say that Dany's got them there. But the dragons are the ones that kind of got him the kingdom, I think. Like, you look back, like, the Field of Fire, you know, Balerion basically just wiped out entire families. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say that that's a pretty... It's a pretty accurate quote, I would say. Yeah.
0: Morgan, what do you uh, think? Yeah, I, I have to go with the dragons here. The No matter what the dreams were, no matter what they were, the Targaryens would not have had the ability to conquer... The sheer force that they were up against was insurmountable considering how much force they had to bring to the field without the dragons. They needed armies even with the dragons, but without the dragons, their armies would have been toast. Like, they were a crunchy small compared to the other kingdoms.
2: And they didn't know the territory either, Would be because yeah. they were all imported. They didn't know anything about the terrain or about the survivability or any of those, you know, wonderful little details that makes an army successful.
0: They had they had one significant advantage, which was that all of their enemies weren't friends. They were going up against a whole bunch of different kings That's who true. didn't all, like, who weren't all one unified nation, unlike, say, the Lannisters who were trying to deal with people who had been one kingdom before. Um, but with the with the Targaryens, it was a bunch of smaller kingdoms. But even still, those smaller kingdoms are not at the scale of a, of kingdoms in the medieval era. They were massive, thousands and thousands of troops, e- easily, readily deployable. Yeah, without the dragons, they were screwed. That's my <laughs> official statement. I'm,
3: you know, I am glad you brought up um, the scale because that's something that's really easy to overlook when you're looking at game of thrones without a history of studying medieval warfare um mm-hmm. westeros is big all of their castles are huge like winterfell is double the size of downing street or buckingham um and heron hall is so big that it can't be taken care of <laughs> like they they just yeah. don't have a staff that size so you know what? You guys are convincing me. I'm 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 changing my mind on that. <laughs> you know, just thinking about what Morgan said. Like I'm I'm seeing like dreams didn't give us maps of this big place. Dragons yeah. did. <laughs> you yeah, know? with
2: with the dragon, you've got the tactical advantage not only of the fire breathing but aerial scouting. Yeah, yeah, Distance. literal air
0: power. What yeah. what have we learned in modern warfare? Whoever has whoever controls the air wins the war pretty consistently. Uh, with a few exceptions, but pretty consistently. <laughs> um, and then just as far as scale goes, I'm gonna I'm gonna point this out. Westeros is designed like England, the like um, Britain. However, it is the size of a continent, so they took all of England and expanded it to like 50 times the size. And that's just how we got Westeros, I guess.
3: Which all technically right, makes Scotland the North. Yes, so. what do you think
0: what what do you think the wall is? It's Hadrian's Wall.
3: Yeah. Scotland yeah. is the north on
0: a giant scale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: so. Ooh.
0: Uh it, when when you look, I am a historical nerd. I can point out to you where everything is supposed to be in England. <laughs> <laughs> uh anyways, moving on to the next question. Uh so we you me- we mentioned the Valyrian steel dagger, the Cat's Paw dagger. Um And how that sparked significant conflict in Game of Thrones, right? Like that was an essential part of everything that happened in in that show to come. It it was right there at the beginning. Uh, What significance do we think it'll have in this series?
4: I think it will play a very big part because as we can uh, see in the scene... uh Alicent's hair is disheveled, she is not wearing any jewelry, so it indicates that something big has happened and since she is holding the dagger, the dagger is involved in it. And uh, she is running in a room full of people. She is the queen of Westeros. She is main, su- supposed to maintain her composure, but she is running in some su- uh, but something big had ha- has happened that made her lose her composure and she is running in front of everyone. So it just, uh, just judging pr- by this fact, uh, we can say that it will play a huge part, just like it did in Game of Thrones. Yeah. What do you think, Constance? Well, seeing as that's that dagger
2: was such an essential part of how they won, essentially, against the you know, the Knights King and everything in and, and the story, and how it was used to. Manipulate the, the story with the Starks and the Lannisters and, and take, you know, moving everything of little fingers, little manipulation. I think this is an interesting way of showing that and how it came to play into the next series. I don't know if it's going to have a prominence in this. Obviously, it does with some kind of with the attention that's been paid to it, the multiple shots we've seen of it. I think it's kind of more like a lead in and a connection to Game of Thrones. Mm. You know, I I don't know necessarily if this dagger is going to uh, assassinate someone or come into play in a big way, but they wanted to definitely show the link of where it came from because we know where it ends up, but we don't know where it came from, and so I think this is what they're going to try to do with that is is set up establish where that how that dagger became such an essential part of the latter stories because uh, if you look at if you look at it it showed up a, a lot. In the in the seven in the eight seasons of Game of Thrones, right? It's like it mentioned in books. It talks about dragon fire, dragon glass. It talks about uh, where it came from, who used it. It it has such a history, but we don't know anything about that history. And this is when this is the time for it to show. So I think that's what this is. I think this is a direct tie into Game of Thrones and that and that uh, essential part of the storyline.
4: Yeah.
1: What about you, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I think like I don't know if it'll kind of be like a like a plot point, kind of how it was in you know the Song of Ice and Fire, how it was like you know the murder weapon or the attempted murder weapon and stuff like that. So I don't know if it'll matter that much, but I could see kind of like how constant said it's like a connection to the old show, so it gets people like oh kind of like, you know, that Leonardo DiCaprio me and like, Oh yeah. <laughs> so like, I think that it'll definitely be kind of used like that to just kind of get people like connected to the show. Um, I think I'm, I'm hoping it'll actually get used because I also think that'll be kind of cool. So, but yeah, I think it'll be used, but I do not think it's going to be like a plot point like it was in the, uh, in the other series. So what about you, Morgan? Uh, well, for me, for me, I
0: I think it's uh I don't know that it's necessarily going to be used violently per se. I mean, when you see her carrying it, she doesn't have um, it doesn't have any blood on it, right? She's just holding it. However, that is the queen holding her husband's dagger, very very scared. That's a pretty significant image right there, right? We know that this is a husband. They showed him in two different scenes wearing that dagger on his belt. And then you see his queen, without him in the scene at all, holding the dagger, looking scared. And what do we know about the fall of kings? We know that everybody around them gets really scared really fast because power is a vacuum. And as soon as, everybody, as, soon as that person dies, you have to figure out your life and everything you want immediately. Uh, what about you, Solar? What are your thoughts?
3: Um... Honestly, I can see that it does play a part, specifically from the perspective of Valerian Steel in this story, is the closest thing that we get to magic weapons. And Mm. George has put very, very big emphasis on the rarity of magical artifacts in the sense of everyone has one, but most people only have one, (laughs) you know, and that's their Valerian Steel swords um i believe the boltons have a flaying knife the targaryens had three swords um and two daggers because they were the kings of kings of kings of kings of old um but i'm hoping that it doesn't play that large a part in the story um one of the things that um and this is this is just a personal thing just a personal thing um, but I am not a big fan of C three PO and R two D two being in every single story attached to Star Wars: A New Hope. You know, mm-hmm. um, so when I see the dagger that was used to great effect, in my opinion, in the last show, it's like cool, but just a little bit of a member berry is enough. I don't want. I, I don't want the <laughs> argument of. Well, really, the dagger is the main character when it comes <laughs> to the history of Westeros. You know what I Wait, mean? You,
0: are you saying Valyrian weapons aren't the main characters?
3: Uh, no, I don't, I'm not saying that Valer- <laughs> I, I wouldn't have a problem with Valyrian weapons. I would have a problem with that one, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> you know, I, we're in the time where Blackfire and Dark Sister are still there. So mm-hmm. show me a little bit about them. You know? I,
0: st- I still think Game of Thrones is a story of ice and how it split and came back together.
3: <laughs> you know, Aww. that could be it, you know? So, yeah, but I, yeah, like I said, I, I'm afraid that the dagger will take its place amongst the pantheon of main characters. And I hope that that's not the deal, because <laughs> there's so much, so many other things in this thick, thick, thick um, world of lore. So... Um, a member berry or two in one or two episodes, I'm good. Um, the key to a plot point, I hope not. I, I really hope not.
0: All right. So I have uh, one more question for you all. So in the text, not even looking at the trailer itself, in the text, we have two very different versions of everything that happens in this time period. One is from the perspective of a maester, And the other from the perspective of someone named Mushroom. What do we know about uh, the core differences, and what do we think HBO will primarily use for this show? Let's start with you, Constance. I know you have a lot of thoughts on
2: this. Oh boy, yeah. uh, If you're going to be, I think it was uh, there's there's two other there's two other versions of the story, right? Like you said, there's there's two different ones. There's Septon Eustace. And then there's Grand Maester Munken, and uh, then we've got Mushroom, right? So we've got a Septon, a, a man of the faith, a, a holy person of the Seven, who's going to be telling the story from a certain perspective. Then you've got a Grand Maester that's going to be telling it from a more, you know, neutral perspective. And then there's Mushroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Mushroom mm-hmm. is uh, you'll you'll. I don't know if we're going to see him in the series or not he doesn't play that big of a role in the story other than as a storyteller right he doesn't influence the actions quite so much as he reports on them and everything he reports is as salacious and as dirty and as just downright weird as it gets and i really he's a writer for hbo He's a writer for HBO! Exactly! (laughs) If they follow the route that they did with season 1 and 2, where they used sex position as a way to explain plot and explain story, then we'll definitely see the Mushroom route. But if they're going with the route that they've already established a lot of the lore, they've already established a lot about the characterization, they may not need to go so sensational and they may go like the Eustace route instead. So... Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I think it also depends on which story they want to tell. Do they want to tell a more historical sweeping saga? Or do they want to tell like a sordid romance? I I think that's really gonna be an interesting directorial direction when we get to it. That's that's my two cents.
1: (laughs) All
0: right, what about you, Sam?
1: oh my gosh give me the
3: mushroom cut four hour you know hashtag release the mushroom
1: cut four hour episodes and there Uh, went rpg 13 like (laughs) i think it'll i feel like it'll be probably like a little mix of both honestly but i I mean because there's some parts you know there's like Like, I think Constance, you brought up like there's rumors all over the court all the time. And sometimes those rumors tend to be true. And I feel like that's maybe when the mushroom parts will kind of creep in. But uh, I I think it'll be a a mix of both. I I would love to see the character mushroom like in action, though. I think that that would be like just kind of a nice like a nice little nod to book readers and lore readers of just like, hey, this is mushroom. And then, oh, I think that'd be kind (laughs) of fun, so. Yeah, but I think a little bit of mix of both, I, I'd say.
0: All right, uh, Solar, what are your thoughts?
3: Uh, my thoughts are it's going to be told from the master's point of view with some sprinklings of mushroom just to, just to keep the umami in there. Um, mm-hmm. Primarily because of um, Gren, Maester, Mirwin, Moirin. Okay, um... We're not going to get the Septon's point of view because of their connection to Old Town and the Septon's hatred for the Targaryens. Um, that would make very good TV. I mean, even after Baelor the Blessed converted the realm and all that stuff, but um, the Septon were still hurt from the dissolving of the Faith Militant. Now, the Maesters are really the ones that killed the dragons in this time period. So if a story is going to be told, it's going to be told about the stupidity of the noble houses and the killing of the noble beasts that are the dragons and leave them not culpable at all. (laughs) Um, It's it's going to leave them completely out of it to keep the illusion of neutrality. Um, Even though uh, the maesters that, you know, the Grand Maester is still working for the Targaryens. So, um, one of the big things about these stories is everyone who reads them knows that they're unreliable narrators because it's in a time where the small council approved of everything that got published. And if they didn't approve, somebody could lose their hand for writing stinking lies. So, um, so yeah, the story that we get is going to be the most neutral and sanitized version that shows circumstances um, being the things that destroyed the dragons, told by the organization that wanted them gone in the first place. <laughs> you know, and leaving them with their hands completely clean. Um, I'm, I'm definitely with Sam with hashtag Release the Mushroom Cut. You know, <laughs> give, give me that mushroom cut <laughs> because, as body and as dirty as it might sound, the jesters tend to have no real political alliances since their entire job was to tell the truth, to power. So, you know, that would be the most, um, the most neutral and objective telling of the stories. Um, because the embellishment would be with how many people were naked and who did what with a donkey and a honeycomb, you know, I mean that, that, that would be about it.
0: And whether it's an uncut mushroom, um, (laughs) <laughs> All right, Uzma, do
2: you have
1: a question?
0: <laughs> 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 U-
4: Welcome to, to the, the dark side. <laughs> yeah, he does, he does. talk about that. <laughs> I think George isn't. Go ahead. I think George is an expert in making uh, you think that uh, yes, uh, this. Uh, Maybe this event happened or that. And in reality, uh, the truth turns out to be something completely different. So, And since George is working with them, uh, it's possible that uh, both their accounts, uh, maybe both of their accounts were wrong and the truth was completely uh, something else. Uh, So that would be a nice uh, twist for even the book readers because uh, the book readers think, yes, we know everything that happened. And uh, while, yes, separate. Eustace and Mushroom's accounts uh, at least confirmed the events that yes, this had happened, they didn't agree on how it happened. So, uh, since George is working with them, uh, it would be uh, really nice to see if it turns out to be uh, something completely new. Uh, so, even the book readers will be able to enjoy it. Mm, But HBO, but I agree with Solar that HBO would would probably go with uh, mostly Septon Eustace's account with a little bit of Mushroom's account thrown here or there.
0: (laughs) So uh, I'm going to throw my two cents in. I uh, genuinely believe that there is your side, my side, and the truth uh, is kind of how things should go. Uh, I don't necessarily want something wholly new. Like, I, I could deal with some, some new in there, but I, what I imagine is that the truth falls somewhere between both, between all three pr- perspectives, that they're all seeing the same things. But I'd like to see not just what the truth is, but how the truth can become so muddled to everybody else. Right? Like, how do the rumors go from A to X, Y, Z? Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping to see the truth shown as if it is easily redefinable as any of those possible outcomes. At least from an outside view. That's my hope. Uh, but that was my last question. Um, And that concludes our Fire and Blood section. And now we're back to you, Sam.
1: Awesome. Uh, For our final segment, we have Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia, polls about the episodes and questions and comments from you, the listeners. Uh, All you, Uzma? Uh,
4: I think uh, Constance will ask the trivia question first. Sure. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, So
2: what we're going to do is with every episode, we're going to ask you to have paid attention to the things that we've been discussing this whole time. Uh, So we had at some point during the course of this episode brought up what Lord Corlys Velaryon had brought back with him when he was on his travels. The sea snake becoming the richest man in Westeros, even richer than the Lannisters. What was it and who was it that brought it up? That is your trivia question. If you can successfully answer a series of our trivia questions, you as a maester will gain a link in your chain, successfully gain enough links and you could win fabulous prizes. Uh, What we could manage to get to you, of course. (laughs) But uh, so yes. So the trivia question was, what was it that Corliss brought and who is it that brought it up? Those are the two questions you'll have to answer. Uh, Feel free to post in the comments. Uh, We'll, we'll take the top, the first couple answers. And we'll uh, count that towards your master's link. Now, Uzma, I believe you have
4: some fun polls for us from some of the fans. Is that right? Yeah, Uh, I asked. I posted a poll asking about what's the most exciting moment in the trailer, and most of the fans voted for drum rolls. (laughs) <laughs> Daemon Targaryen fighting in the list <laughs> it won by 53% and I completely agree <laughs> Daemon Targaryen is probably the best character in Dance of the Dragon at least in my opinion and he kind of reminds me of Rhaegar Targaryen in, uh, in this particular scene uh, because uh, Rhaegar was also a fan favorite for most of the b- book fans mm. in this uh, is it just me or... Uh, uh, do you guys also think uh, that uh, this scene reminds is kind of like uh, the tourney of Harrenhal? It kind of reminds me of that. Of I don't know why. It kind of reminds me of the tourney of Han- Harrenhal. Because uh, if I see this armor and uh, all I th- can think of is Rhaegar Targaryen. <laughs> well, I think also the,
2: the, the excitement for Matt Smith is real. Mm-hmm. He's got a built-in fan base because of Doctor Who. And I think a lot of people seeing him in an action role, it's probably not him doing the fighting as <laughs> you know, a stunt guy, but seeing him in a more action driven where he's oh, he's not necessarily the villain and he's not necessarily the hero of the piece. He's kind of somewhere in between the two, especially depending on which version of a story you're looking at. So I think that's another reason why we're excited to see him is, is to get that kind of a, a dynamic hero.
3: Would you say that the polls are saying that it's Damon time? Or Matt Smith time, oh. yeah, yeah. Somebody had to, okay. Somebody had to get it yeah. out of the way.
2: You went there. You went there. <laughs> um, but we're going to close out this. The we're going to close out our podcast with something we like to call. Ready? Who's that? Who's that dragon. That dragon <laughs> <laughs> so this time we're going to feature every week. We're going to feature a different dragon and give you some trivia and let you know something about the great magnificent beasts that as Solar and I are so looking forward to. We'll actually get to see this this during the series. So the first dragon we're going to discuss is older than the Conquest, according to the small folk, a creature hundreds of years old. A beast so savage, it is known to consume man and monster alike, and even its own kind. A dragon so fierce, no man nor woman in all of Westeros could tame and claim it, even at a time when every dragon was so desperately needed. No fate is known for this mighty beast. And they say a dragon can grow so long as it has food and room. So who knows how long he lived and how massive he became. His name alone invokes disgust and terror. This is the dragon known as Cannibal. So that's it. You want to take us out, (laughs) Sam? Absolutely. Um...
1: Before we go, we'd like to introduce ourselves and what brings us to the podcast. Uh, Uzma, do you want to start?
4: Yeah. Uh, Hi, I'm Uzma. I'm from India, and I have a YouTube channel called Ultimate Book Maniacs, where I post videos about fantasy shows like Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, Wheel of Time, Witcher, etc. But mostly it's about Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. I'm also a member of the small council, of a group uh, of the third largest group of game of thrones uh, on facebook which is ultimate house of the ultimate game of thrones and house of the dragon fan club i love to read books watching shows and recently i've gotten an into uh, anime which i absolutely love and i love uh, reading books which uh, mostly from the genre uh, young adult or fantasy books and what drew me to A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, I, when uh, around six years ago, one of my cousins uh, recommended Game of Thrones to me. And... Um, I decided to give it a shot. Uh, I thought I'll just watch one episode and then I'll get back to it. But before I knew it, I ended up watching all the episodes that had been released at that time, uh, which was around uh, season three. And then the Red red Wedding happened. I just sat there for literally half an hour without doing anything. My mind was completely numb. (laughs) I couldn't think of anything. (laughs) And... uh, after that, I just couldn't wait till season four. I had to know what happens next. So that's when I got the books and I uh, started reading them. After that, a lot of I th- started thinking of uh, thinking of a lot of theories, and I started posting them posting them on my channel. And around the same time, I was asked to become uh, an admin of a group which had around one thousand members, and I agreed to uh, do that. And let's get uh, get back to you, Morgan.
0: Oh hi! Hello everybody. My name is Morrigan Bell. Uh, I was literally born into a world of history and fantasy because I grew up at the Renaissance Fairs of California. Uh, I am a game master. I run a lot of uh, role playing games, uh, as well as I've run a couple LARPs. I love telling stories, writing poems, writing songs. Um, I just like to write. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I have run a few role-playing games set in the world of Ice and Fire, uh, and I always put a little twist on it, change one piece in history to an alternate timeline. Um, my most recent one that I did was, uh, what if Rhaegar Targaryen had won the Battle of the Trident, killing Robert Baratheon, and how would that have changed everything? Um... And yeah, I just, I love this world. I've been watching, I've been watching it since episode one and about two seasons in, I started reading all the books. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just so happy to be here. Uh, And I will also introduce one of my oldest friends, Constance, your turn.
2: Yes, I've, I've known Morgan a very, very long time. Uh, I also grew up the Renaissance Fairs in SoCal. So uh, she and I have known each other through that avenue for a very long time. But that's where my love of history, creativity, costuming, music, dance, all of those elements that make all the details that make something memorable are are what I love to to deal with. Uh, I I sew, I sing, I write poetry, I write stories. I'm a role player. I'm a LARPer. um, And I got into the world of ice and fire through a friend at the Renaissance Fair that handed out a Game of Thrones, the very first book, and said, you need to read this. And so I was familiar with the books before the series came out and was super excited to see it translated into a visual medium and all those wonderful details that George had written brought into a, brought to life in, in the you know, real real-time real world. And the, the soundtracks are just incredible. Uh, and I fully recommend this. If any of you ever get a chance, if they ever do it again to do the Game of Thrones concert experience, go. Mm. It is totally beautiful, worthwhile. But that's me, a uh, hardcore nerd, hardcore visual learner, and uh, I'd like to pass this over to Solar, who also shares a love of the uh, cinematic and visual with me.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, Solar Grey, the cinematic source work. Um, currently, I'm a content creator, but, um, you know, you can find my stuff over at Twitch. Um, but let's see. Nerd cred time. <laughs> Uh, we're talking actor, singer, dancer, musician, or a backup singer, really. I, you know, Unless you need somebody to sing like Tom Waits, then I've got you all the way across the
1: board.
0: Um,
3: yeah, so uh, actor, singer, dancer, uh, fire performer, um, wardrobe person, special effects guy. I'm also um, dyed in the cloth nerd and when i say that i mean i saw revenge of the nerds in theaters in the (laughs) early 80s and said that's what i'm gonna be when i grow up not that i want to but i just don't have much of a choice let me just learn this computer stuff and um you know um you know currently i run a channel um all things nerdy in the person-to-person um space um involving role-playing games Uh, tabletop miniatures, games, comic books, 3D printing, all of that jazz. And um, I got into the world of Ice and Fire, um, set the Wayback Machine for 2002. And I'm working at a role-playing game store in Fullerton, um, which is my first job after the comic book store I worked at closed down. And this was two years after I quit the Renaissance Fair. And one of my gaming friends, so he and I were collectible card players, and we really bonded over the um, Lord of the Rings um, card playing game from Decipher, um, way, way, way back in 2002. And he came in saying, "Dude, let me see, let me show you this other game, which was the Game of Thrones collectible card game." And I'm playing the game, and of course, I'm learning a little bit of the lore. And he's like, "Dude, you gotta read these books. There's like..." You know, there is a total sales technique I'm using, which is dissecting your personality and only telling you about the parts that I know you'll like. And these Dothraki guys are like Mongols and Native Americans, and they've got bells in their hair, and they keep a long braid. And I'm like, okay, it sounds interesting, but it sounds like fantasy, so I'm a little burned out on it right now. Um, And then I sat down. He gave me a copy of A Game of Thrones. And again this is 2003 2004 so the only books that were out were um Thrones Kings and uh Swords. And um I sat down to read the book and I was so bored. I was so tired of heraldry and I'm like okay yeah 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 okay flag 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 and then on page 73 when Jamie pushes Bran out of the window I'm like okay what? <laughs> And the rest of the books just went on like that. And next thing I know, I'm reading the family trees. I'm looking up the lore. I'm getting all the details. I'm seeing how on page 191 of book two, um, Stannis is eating peanuts. But on page 15 of um, book one, he's wearing a hat. And those two things (laughs) have got to be related in some way so all the way down <laughs> I the big that reference, <laughs> I <got that> reference. <laughs> you know and um yeah thank you thank you thank you um and you know um and i was part of as the axis of awesome um said that part of people that waited six long years for a dance with dragons before the show came out and um he says 10 years after dance of dragons <laughs> um and um i've just been all in on the lore when the hedge knights books came out and the world of ice and fire came out just anything to get my game of thrones um low fantasy political um political um storytelling fix um out everything i did like every piece of lore be it the comic books the audio books um the discussions online um i'm subscribed to like seven youtube channels that overanalyze and discuss all that stuff just to save myself time from doing it myself um and then um then we went through the show um you i'll put my email address in the description for what i'm about to say so this is not a reflection of the song of ice and fire podcast that we're doing right now but I didn't mind season eight from the perspective of a viewer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, um, I, I, I run in a lot of film circles and a lot of storytelling circles, but I also have a lot of circles that aren't involved in those things. So I was riding the fence between the vitriol of the hardcore fans and the, you know, I kind of like the way that set out from the regular normal people (laughs) that don't steep their lives in fantasy novels and filmmaking and storytelling and take workshops on writing. So, um, yeah, I, I I didn't mind that. Um, and yeah, so now I'm here talking with you guys about all of this stuff, you know? So, yeah. So back to you, Sam. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Thank you, Solar. Uh, my name's Sam. Uh, I started, I got into the world of ice and fire uh, after the second season. Um, I a friend recommended the show to me, and then I got so sucked in, I skipped a couple classes, stayed home, binge-watched the first two seasons, and I was absolutely hooked. Uh, after the third season, uh, I, I wanted to know more, and then I got the books for Christmas and pretty much I have game of thrones to thank for getting me back into reading. I wasn't really reading much at the time, but then after that I was reading more fantasy, sci-fi comic books, uh, gone into the King killer chronicles, the expanse series, um, saga, and just kind of just went all out. Um, eventually played, started playing D and D with some friends. Uh, and then a couple of those friends, we made our own podcast called liquor and lore. Um, after that, uh, got together with these wonderful people and that is uh what you see here where we are talking about the newest show coming out uh dealing with game of thrones but uh that is our first episode uh thank you so much for joining us uh hashtag release the mushroom cut (laughs) release the mushroom cut and where's my dragons (laughs) <laughs> where's my dragons yes hashtag where's my dragons hashtag release mushroom cut. hashtag content warning
0: <laughs> anybody who watches game of thrones has heard much worse
1: than what we're saying <laughs> <laughs> thanks
4: y'all have a Bye. good night later well, <laughs>